Hello and welcome to the Celtics Collective podcast brought to you by Heavy Sports, uh, where we cover the NBA and we cover the Celtics and certainly Steve Bullpet uh, is there in the middle uh, of all of that. I'm Sean Devaney from Heavy Sports. That's Steve Bullpet, our NBA insider. Uh, how are you, Steve? Living the dream. You were out uh, at the Celtics' fourth straight win uh, against the Clippers on uh, on Thursday night. Uh, what you what you see from them? What what impressed you uh, about that uh, that that showing from the Celtics? Um, I guess what was most impressive is uh, that they stuck with their stuff. Because if there's one weakness or potential landmine with this team is when they go away from. And we're just talking basic stuff, moving the ball, getting up on defense, those kind of things. And, um, you know, they played against a pretty good team and they seem to be, uh, they, they seem to stay physical and, um, you know, uh, keep up the harassing defense, even when uh, the Clippers, it was, you know, close game yeah. for a while. And, um, you know, they stuck with it. So, um, and they moved the ball really well. There was a couple of possessions where, on one possession, three guys passed up open threes uh, to throw it into the corner. I believe it was Horford that made the three from the right corner to, to complete right. the possession. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that um, that this team needs to do because it just, you know, tires out a, a defense and um, obviously gets them the best looks in, in, in rhythm. Yeah, and that 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 finishes off a homestand. Uh, seven games, they go four and three. Probably the strangest seven-game home straight that goes four and three, uh, just because you start with two losses uh, against the Magic, uh, and then and then you lose to Indiana, uh, and then you come out and beat uh, uh, Milwaukee on Christmas Day. You get the win over the Clippers, who've been playing well. Uh, you know this was uh, this was an odd uh, homestand. I think there's no question about that. Although I will point out, uh, as I'm sure you were about to, Steve, uh, that you sort of saw that coming. You sort of saw it coming, that coming off that West Coast road, road trip, uh, that, uh, uh, that that they could be in for, for a letdown, uh, at least to start that homestand. Well, I, well basically, I, I looked at um, the, the games I thought that would, it would be sneaky difficult were the ones they lost, Orlando and Indiana. It's like right. – believe I told you it was like because these are two teams that, that are going to come out and you know caution to the wind they're going to fire it up and they're going to keep playing so uh if you come into those games which I kind of felt the Celtics might a bit thinking hey you know these are games we should win you can't you can go in with expectation uh to a game but you can't you know you still have to execute um and you know it's uh you have to be prepared to do what it takes, and they didn't appear to be in that mode. Right, right. That uh, that showed their effort, which is never a really good thing. Yeah, and that that showed in that first game against Orlando, and it's sort of like they just stayed in that funk for three games. Uh, but let's let's take a look at what we've got coming. What we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about uh, the backcourt. We're going to talk about Marcus Smart uh, and uh, and what Kendrick Perkins had to say about him. Uh, we're going to talk about Derek White. We're staying the backcourt uh, with him. Another good game uh, for for Derek White. Uh, more backcourt. We're going to talk a little Peyton Pritchard, uh, who got all of five minutes of action last night, even with Malcolm Brogdon out. Um, you had some reporting about him, so we'll talk about that. Uh, a little about Jalen Brown, and then we'll look ahead uh, to the road trip 
that's coming up starting Sunday in Denver. So, uh, but let's let's start with Marcus Smart. Kendrick Perkins last night after the game uh, said on the broadcast that he's becoming one of the best pure point guards uh, in the NBA, which uh, you know even a year and a half ago would would, would have you scratching your head. Uh, but the numbers are kind of there. I mean, you know, he's averaging seven and a half uh, assists. He's 10th in the league. Uh, if you go back to November 5th, when he had that 11 assist game, um, you know, that, that that really started this run that he's been on in terms of his passing. He's averaged eight assists uh, since then. His assist to turnover ratio is fantastic. Uh, you know, is, 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 is what Kendrick Perkins saying? Is it, uh, uh, is it really far out of left field or, or, or does he have a pretty good point there? Well, look, uh, the only question um, about Marcus Smart is that he, you know, that he takes some threes that uh, appear to be ill-timed. As we're talking, I'm looking here. uh, Yeah, a month ago, we did a story on this about Marcus and the step forward that he that he took. uh, November 27th, they got the update here on this thing. Uh, So, yeah. Almost a, almost a, a month to the day. Um, yeah, look, that's his only issue, right? Is uh, does, he, does he pull the trigger too fast sometimes? But that's, you know, if you want Marcus the competitor, you know, he's looking for good, he's looking for shots for people. Um, and uh, if he senses that, uh, that it's not coming, he's going to, you know, he'll step up himself and take them. Sometimes, like I said, ill-timed. But beyond that, um, was there anything really to question about his his point guard game? I mean, he does get to the basket well. He does move the ball well. Um, and I think what's also helped is that uh, <clears throat> other people are moving it as well. So I think that just kind of it feeds into, uh, you know, it like they say, it's contagious. Well, it's contagious to Marcus too. And I think it, uh, and guys are cutting more. I'm, I should have added that part yeah. sooner. But, uh, you know, guys before on this team have waited for the ball in the perimeter to get it, pound it in the floor, look for their shot, and that was the how the offense ran far too often. Now you've got guys like Jalen Brown, you know, backdoor cutting, all those things, simple things. But, you know, Marcus hit them a couple times last night for buckets. Yeah, and uh, no question that he's he's got that uh, uh, that that sense working now. But I guess to go back to the question you asked, and that is, uh, was there ever any doubt about his point guard skills? It seemed like the Celtics had doubts, right? Because you bring in Kyrie Irving, you bring in uh, Kemba Walker. Um, you know, they did not seem to trust Marcus Smart through the first seven years of his career as a uh, as a starting point guard, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think I think Brad as a coach had a little difficulty, you know, uh, with, you know, just coach, especially a coach who was a point guard, they like to control things. They like, Mm -hmm. they like things to be under control. And, you know, I'm not saying that Marcus was out of control necessarily, but, you know, Marcus plays at warp speed, you know, there's good there, there's, there's bad there, but it's, you know, he's going to be, sometimes it'll be art artistic. You know, sometimes it'll be a cleanup on aisle five. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to deal with that. And I think it can be hard for a coach. I do think um, that Brad has come to appreciate Marcus more now that Brad's in the front office. <laughs> um, 
it's kind of like uh, like you and I. We look better from a distance. Closer <laughs> yeah. you get, I mean, it can be really, can be, we can be really stomach turning people. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's written in our contracts at Heavy that we can't be in the same room at the same time. Yeah, so. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> you've heard of harmonic convergence? That would be, uh, yeah, dyspeptic convergence or something. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, but look, that, so yeah, I, I, to, I guess I'm agreeing with your point. Yeah. They, they've had issues with him over the, over time. Um, or, you know, but Marcus is, you know, to get what he gives you, you know, you got to deal with some things to get yeah. what Jalen, what Jason Tatum gives you. Sometimes you got to deal with the fact that he's going to take it and, and, you know, pound it into the floor a few times, but, you know, he's able to make stuff. So, um, you know, uh, I guess it's minimizing your downsides um, and trying to make more regular the good things you do. And again, what's made Marcus look even better this year is that uh, everybody else is playing that way. So he's a part of that. And certainly with the ball in his hand to start with, most of the time he's able to be the trigger. His his assist numbers can can sometimes, I think, this year be – a little misleading, uh, a little short because, you know, the so-called hockey assist yeah, right. uh, will be there. And, and that's, you know, the past that leads to the assist can be more difficult at times and more important. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he certainly uh, uh, has done well with those secondary assists. Um, it, you know, in, in the time that you've, you mentioned first off that, that, that Brad, um, can appreciate Marcus more from from the from the GM's chair, uh, but it should be said that that Brad also was was running the team when they when they handed the keys to Marcus. So uh, yeah. you know, obviously, he thought he could handle the job. Uh, Danny Ainge before him, of course, loved Marcus. Um, did you ever get a sense in the time that you were covering the team, uh, you know, before you were uh, here with us at Heavy, uh, with uh, with whatever that uh, uh, that tabloid paper you used to be with? Uh, did you ever get a sense that um, that that the Celtics would have traded Marcus Smart? Was there? Did you ever hear anything that made you think that they they were ready to move the guy? I'm not going to tell you the exact names, but I think there are at least two of Danny's children that he would have traded before Marcus. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, no, I, I think, I think Danny always understood And And look, it was funny. Um, and I remember writing about this a few times or a couple times anyway. Uh, Boston fans were kind of like, you know, a little bit of love, hate with Marcus, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, you know, he makes a great play. They love him. He uh, he comes down and fires a pass into the third row. Get this guy out of here. I, I think you're being kind to, to, to Celtics fans there because well, I think it was pretty soon. the guy in the third row being pissed off. The ball yeah. hit him on the dog and he's looking at his phone. But that's kind of his fault too. Um, but what was funny to me at the time was you, you're talking to people around the league and to realize how much Marcus is coveted around the league by teams. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, they like his game, obviously. They like his defense. Um, he's not uh, built in the traditional point guard mode, perhaps. He's more like a, I don't know, an edge, an edge rusher or, you know, linebacker that can drop into coverage. But, um, but teams also looked at him as being like a culture changer guy, you know. 
Um, they wanted to, you know, having that kind of guy on their team playing that kind of defense, it kind of shames guys. And there are teams in this league that, you know, um, are not as defensive minded as the Celtics are. So uh, it was funny with all the time that people were, you know, I don't know about Marcus. There were a whole bunch of teams around the league that were like, well, we'll take some of that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Marcus Smart playing very well. Uh, that that assist to uh, turnover ratio that we talked about, three point two eight. That is tenth uh, among guards and sixth among starting guards. It's uh, uh, it's pretty good. He has been he has been very very good and very important to, to what they've done offensively. Let's go to his uh, his backcourt partner um, who had a good game last night. Six of eight shooting, four assists. Derek White, fifteen points. Uh, he played 37 minutes. You know, he's, he's been playing some pretty heavy minutes. Um, and, and you know, he's he's really shown sort of what they wanted him to be when they got him last year uh, in the trade for Josh Richardson. Uh, just an odd stat to bring up with you, Steve. Now, I, these stats, you can always uh, so, sort of portray them however you want. And 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 I get a little reluctant to uh, to put too much stock into it. But this is such a it, it's such a contrast. Derek White averages 11.7 points, 50% shooting, and 43% three-point shooting in Celtics wins. In Celtics losses, five and a half points, 25% shooting, 17% three-point shooting. It is unbelievable. You know, I mean, obviously guys play worse in losses than they do in wins, but I've never seen a disparity like that. Uh, it just seems like, hey, look, if, if Derek White plays well, the Celtics are going to win. Well, you know, I, I think people around the team have taken to calling Derek White the franchise. <laughs> um, well, was it um, was it Mark Twain? Let's see. I don't mean to piss off my liter my uh, lit, lit teacher, but uh, I think it was Mark Twain's line: "There are lies, damn lies, and statistics." Right, right. Um, but I, Derek White is—he's not like necessarily a creator of the W, but he's like a, a barometer of how the Celtics are playing. If uh, if he's scoring, it means the ball is moving because he's not a guy that's going to take it and, and, you know, dribble and try to make a play. He's a guy that's going to do it off the catch um, and, and do it quickly. He's not, you know. So I think if if the team is playing the way that, that they want to play, that the coaches certainly want them to play, then opportunities will be there for everybody. I mean, the, the number of possessions is going to go up. Uh, so I think he's like a, a, a good barometer of when the team is playing well. His numbers should be up. But, yeah, um, look, he, his shooting was off when he got here last year. And people were talking about, I think, one of the questions we had in the mailbag was, you know, are you surprised at, at Derek White's improved shooting? And it's like, no, I was more surprised that he was missing last year because right. mechanics are fine. But, um, you know, getting a shot in rhythm uh, is really important. Getting, uh, and getting a clean look off of, a paint, uh, off of a paint touch, the ball comes out to a shooter who's squared up. I think he's getting a lot of those looks this year. Um, and just some wide open stuff. And getting to the basket a lot. Um, he's a good slasher. It's funny because you, you bring Rob Williams back, but, um, you know, Derek White was seen last year as they bring him in to be a guy like the first guard off the bench. But now you've got Malcolm Brogdon in that role. 
So um, as much as people expected Rob Williams to just jump back into the starting lineup, you know, um, maybe it's maybe they they linger with this a little bit longer because yeah. you have your, you know, you have your your first guard off in, in Malcolm Brogdon, <clears throat> and if uh, if Rob Williams is coming off the bench, I mean he's a starter, you know, in every sense of the word. But if he's, you know, uh, but except maybe literally in this case, but if he's coming off the bench, uh, that is got to be the biggest weapon, you know, to be to be leaving in your, uh, you know, in your biggest hour to be leaving in your quiver, perhaps, you know, of any team in the league to be able to yeah. bring in a guy like that that changes things so dramatically both ends of the floor. Yeah. And, you know, White has been very good as a starter. I think he's started, I think it's 29 out of his. 34 games, something like that. Um, do you let's 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 fast forward just just for the sake of argument to the playoffs. You know, do you have the Al Rub starting uh, starting front court with with Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, and Marcus, and 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 you're bringing Brogdon and and White off the bench, or do you maybe think about moving Horford to the bench or something like that yeah. and keeping White uh, in the starting five? I'd, I'd go with the I to me personally I'd go with the starting lineup from last year mm-hmm. uh, because you know you say well you're bringing out the bench and that's a great weapon but you're also if you're coming in with Brogdon White and Grant Williams who we haven't talked about but he's yeah. been really really good um, you know it's hard to go wrong the thing that that uh, <clears throat> Rob Williams gives you uh, with Al Horford in the starting lineup is it, it changes defense not just for what what uh, Rob does, Rob Williams does, but one of the biggest, I know we've talked about this before, one of the biggest aspects to reacquiring Al Horford was that people moved over a chair. Um, Jason Tatum went from being a de facto four to being a three and having a size advantage. And, you know, he could get out and guard the threes, certainly, but it was hard for guys, you know, small forward wing types to deal with him. And then you've got Jalen Brown you know, playing guard, playing against guards, that, you know, that's, those were size advantages defensively. You know, size is one thing. If it's just, if you're just big, uh, you know, of nebulous quality, but if you're big and can move and can switch, you know, that's putting some serious length out there. And then you've got Marcus Smart you know, at the point, and there's, you know, there's your Rottweiler. Yeah. Yeah, and also just in terms of talent, of course, you don't yeah. have to play Luke Cornett and 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 Blake Griffin uh, at this point. You can if you need to, and 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 you know back to backs and things like that. Uh, but you don't have to the way that they've had to uh, here in the first couple months of the season. Uh, let let let's move on, Steve, because you you, you had a little bit of reporting uh, talking to an executive who, who who talked a bit about. Peyton Pritchard, who I mentioned played just five minutes, even with Malcolm Brogdon out uh, on Thursday against the Clippers. Um, if you look over the last 15 games, he's had six DNPs. He's played a total of 72 minutes. Um, you know, it looked like he was sort of finding a role as an energy guy off the bench. That seems to have dissipated somewhat. Uh, what are you hearing about Peyton Pritchard and, uh, uh, and, and, and sort of how other teams view him uh, around the league? Well, look, you know the deal. I mean, teams are always looking at rosters, who's playing. And then you've got uh, – there are always scouts at games. Yeah. There are the advanced scouts that are looking, you know, charting the, the plays because they're about to play Boston or about to play 
like in the case of last night, there'd be scouts here that are, uh, from the Clippers' upcoming opponents. Um, but there are also pro scouts, uh, personnel scouts, that, that go there and they get there early and watch guys warm up um, to look at habits and look at, you know, mechanics and all those things. And they start looking, hey, here's a guy that was playing some, is not playing as much anymore. You know, they start to figure out or, or wonder, would he fit on, on their team? And, you know, being around a bunch, talking to these guys, um, they ask questions. And, you know, you can kind of tell when, you know, they don't have to walk up to you and say, hey, we're really interested in <laughs> just they start asking you questions about him, like you know, yeah. what kind of guy is he? Guy is he? And you know, and uh, how does he get along with people and all those fun things? Um, and you know, anything about you've seen him at anything in practice? But then again, the Celtics really haven't practiced. Um, but yeah, so that's the deal. And I think it's just a matter that teams are looking at guys who have fallen out of a rotation to a degree and may be available. Um, I don't think the Celtics are looking to move Peyton Pritchard at all. Um, I think that you need to have insurance, you know, and Malcolm Brogdon has been okay so far health wise, but he's been, that's been an issue for him uh, over the last year, bunch of years. Um, So yeah. um, And Pritchard is not to his credit, um, is not one of those guys that he's not playing, he's going to just sulk. Um, he's going in and working like crazy anyway. And when he comes into the game, you know, he's not just, okay, oh, I gotta, I'm playing these mop-up minutes. This is, you know, not what I want. He's out there and he's looking at it like, hey, this is a, it's a two, it's a, instead of being up by 15, we're up by one and it's, you know, this possession is important. He plays it that way. So he's not going to give you a drop-off even in the role he's in now. So that would make you believe that, you know, he's going to be ready if he's called upon. So certainly if they put him on the market, uh, you'd expect that there would be a, a significant interest. Uh, but, you know, that they do have the problem of he's on his rookie contract. He's, it's two and a half million bucks, somewhere in that range. Uh, so, you know, there's a limit in, in terms of matching contracts and all that. There's, there's a limit to what you can get back to them unless you package them with, say, uh, Gallinari's contract, which I don't think they want to do. Um, you know, you'd have to package them with something else to bring in. Uh, so somebody's actually going to help you. Uh, that's so th- th- they're limited in what they could do with Pritchard if they did in, in, indeed decide, hey, let's look to trade this guy. Yeah. And, you know, is what they're going to bring back enough to – it's going to change them in any way. You know, I mean, I remember having this conversation with Ainge a couple of, couple of years ago, um, a few years ago, perhaps, um, you know, like wondering why they weren't going out to get a guy like Jamal Crawford. Um, and it's like, we, the basic response was he, he wouldn't get enough minutes there uh, to, to get him be, be a factor. And I thought that was crazy. I thought you should have found minutes for him because they needed that kind of, that kind of score. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, um, I don't, I wonder whether the Celtics think that what they would get would give you more than what Peyton Pritchard, what you know you have there, and right. a guy who would, who would be okay with that role because it's hard to see anybody being available that's going to come in and play ahead of, excuse me, play ahead of Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, right, right. They uh, they probably would have beaten Cleveland. 
in Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals that they had gotten Jamal Crawford when they were just dying for scoring. I remember watching that game and just thinking, you know, they could have got him or, you know, they were talking about Lou Williams and uh, there was one other guy, uh, Tyreek Evans. Yeah. They didn't get any of them. And, man, they needed some buckets down the street to that game and uh, uh, and they just didn't well, have him. I think they had enough buckets. Uh, they just – they, they, the guys started saying, oh, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to go make a play now. And the, you know. Um, yeah, nobody could do it. Well, that was, what was that, 2000? So it was, it was the – it was 2018, the, was that 18? That was 18. 18, yeah. I mean, look, 18, 19, 20, those three years, the Celtics got knocked out of the playoffs by Hero Bowl. Yeah. You know, and again, like we've, we've talked about, it, that's not necessarily guys being jerks. It's guys saying, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to go make a play now. Right, right. Which is cool, except it takes you out of your offense. And um, and then when you miss a couple, you know, you don't have floor balance and, you know, the, the opponent's going the other way. All right, Steve, I know you're a big Muppets fan, so I'm going to play a little Statler and Waldorf uh, uh, with you again here. <laughs> and I'm going to find something to complain about uh, with Jalen Brown, who's having uh, a fantastic year, 27 points. That's a career high, 49.2% uh, shooting, also a career high. Um, the thing that I wonder is he's shooting 33% from the three-point line, which is well off where his numbers usually are, well below league average. Uh, usually he's around 37%, which is a little above uh, the league average. He's also taking a ton of three-pointers, 7.6 per game. That's the most in his career. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, the last six games, he is taking 10 per game. He's shooting 30%. Another factor, just something else I want to throw out there, he's shooting better than 50% on mid-range shots this year. I know everybody hates the mid-range. Everybody loves the three. Uh, but in Jalen's case, you know, can you make an argument that maybe he should be looking more for that uh, 15 footer than the uh, uh, than the 23 footer? Yeah, uh, but and I can, you know, certainly he's I'm, I'm sure he's, you know, planning to hoping to improve his percentage from beyond the arc. Um, but a lot of the times that he's hitting those mid range shots, it's because he's out of the three point line. And, you know, someone closes out to him and he's faking and beating the closeout, getting into the middle of the paint and uh, or around the free throw line extended or whatever into that area. And the defense comes on him. And before it gets there, he's, you know, hitting the jumper or hitting. He hits a bunch of doesn't he where he gets into the lane and uh, takes a step back, hits a turnaround from uh, up the top of the uh, the top of the lane. So, yeah, I mean, he's got to make more threes. Um, he's, you know, they, they would like him to, but, um, <clears throat> I think the mid range is going to be there, especially if, um, the more threes they take, the more mid range, the more the mid range will be there because it's going to, you know, open the floor, open the middle. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think the, the, the mid range game can be underrated. Uh, you know, I think that that sometimes we forget about it. I think if you look at, the, the best players in the league, LeBron and uh, and Kevin Durant, and you saw Kawhi Leonard last night, uh, you know, they, they, they can really make you pay uh, with those 16, 17 footers. And, and, and I think that's something that, uh, um, that, that, you know, a guy like Jalen Brown can take better advantage of. Um, 
But yeah, you know, seven point six threes is probably too many. Uh, but uh, uh, but but no question, he's he, you know that's the way the offense is set up. So he's got to shoot those. But even the stuff in the lane, Sean, that's that's not next to the next to the rim. You know, the uh, out toward the free throw line, he's hitting a lot mm -hmm. of turnarounds there. But there's he's getting fouled as well in those. So he's getting you know, if he's not hitting them uh, and going for an and one, he's getting free throws out of it. And you know. Um, <clears throat> Like they've picked up their pace, and um, you know that kind of stuff has been there. All right, finally, we have coming off of this uh, long homestand that they've been on. We've got a seven-day, four-game road trip uh, through sort of the Mountain West, I guess you could call it. Uh, they're or or the High Plains road trip, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's going to start in Denver uh, on Sunday. They've got Oklahoma City. Uh, Dallas, which is always uh, uh, and uh, always interesting, you know, going back to the last year, the shot that Luca made, uh, and uh, and then of course uh, San Antonio. So, uh, anything you're looking for on this trip? What do you think? Uh, the, the, the how do you think the Celtics will fare uh, in these four games? Well, four cities where uh, cowboy boots are high fashion. <laughs> um, yeah, well, look, you, and, and you living in Nahant, of course, they're the high fashion there, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, high fashion here is, you know, are you clothed? Um, <laughs> um, I think if th this is a trip where, and even San Antonio, um, where, which is, you know, um, <clears throat> going off the, the, the three meter board into the lottery this year, um, these are games where if the Celtics do not bring the requisite energy in any of these things, they can be embarrassed. Um, certainly Denver, you know, can do it to them. Uh, but Oklahoma City plays hard. Um, and we talked about, you know, um, what teams like Orlando and Indiana, and Orlando certainly not as good as, uh, you know, some of these other teams, you know, this could be a troubling trip for the Celtics if they don't come out and really, you know, turn it up a notch. You know, yeah, they played well to end this in the, uh, the the homestand. They need to, you know, be geared up even, I think, for this trip because um, I think these are going to be hard games for them. I really do, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly San Antonio has been, been been a pesky team. They've beaten uh, Miami. They've beaten Cleveland. Uh, they beat the Knicks last time out. So uh, that's 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 one. I'm really interested in that Denver game. You know, I think Denver with the way that they've been playing, the depth that they have, uh, they don't get a lot of a, a attention, of course, being in Denver, uh, despite the fact that they've got, you know, one of the best players uh, going in the game and in, in, in Jokic, uh, but Jamal Murray's playing better, Michael Porter Jr. Um, you know, and, and, and like I said, they've, they've just got some depth with Bones Highland and, uh, Bruce Brown, KCP, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a very good team. Um, and if you start looking ahead to June, uh, a Boston Denver finals, I, I think is something that we could wind up seeing, um, you know, look, a long way to go and, and, and all that, but, uh, uh, and, and, and not that, uh, uh, a December game is going to have much impact on what happens in June. It's just, you know, we don't get to see Denver very much as, uh, uh, as the Celtics. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that could be a, a pretty good measuring stick for them. I agree. Um, you know, Denver, um, 
getting the, you know, some key players back this year and getting them into the swing of things has been important. And, you know, of course, Jokic is just, you know, um, it's, yeah, he's going to score, he can score a bunch of points, but it's also just the, uh, what he creates and the, the movement that, that uh, is created around his hub, the hub that is him. Um, Celtics did really well against them earlier in the year, right? They beat them pretty handily. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, um, it'll be uh, – yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone's going to look at that as being one of the games, one of the measuring type of games for for Boston. Certainly, and I think it's, it it helps them that it's it's going to start the trip, so they, they should be ready for it. Yeah, that'll be Sunday night. If you look at Denver, let's see, they were 14-10 and 10. – uh, on December 6th and, and, and really have been very, very strong uh, since then. They're now 22 uh, and 12, so they've gone eight and two of their last 10 games. Um, you know, just, just, just really starting to hit their stride. Very, very tough at home. So, uh, you know, that'll, that, that'll be a pretty interesting game to watch. Uh, and we'll be back and, and, and talking about it, Steve, next week because uh, we're going to be back in, in 2023. We're going to have uh, our podcast here, and uh, uh, we're going to talk more Celtics. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Steve. To you and your family as well, sir. Big plans or what? Are you, uh, are you hitting the town? Are you going to be uh, uh, at the Ritz or uh, on top of the Prue? Or what's uh, what do you got cooking? Well, put it this way here. If, if, uh, if things go as expected, you might be my one phone call. <laughs> that uh, uh, that sounds like the perfect New Year's Eve to me as well. Maybe some Chinese food uh, and in uh, uh, pajamas. <laughs> um, what I've never eaten pajamas. I've eaten Chinese food. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Steve. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks everyone for uh, for tuning in and listening. Remember to uh, follow our podcast here. We'll be back with more next week. Uh, check out heavy.com, check out the NBA section, check out the Celtics section, check out our page uh, on Facebook, uh, and uh, follow Steve on Twitter at Steve B. Hoop, uh, and me at Sean Devaney, uh, and we'll catch up with you guys later. Thanks again.